It was Wednesday afternoon, almost 17 years ago. As I was performing laser surgery under IV sedation, my patient stopped breathing. Even with intubation and 100% oxygen, he continued to decline. I thought he was going to die. And that's not a good thing. As I prayed with sweats of blood, he revived completely. Three days later, I was sitting at church at 11 o'clock service. His wife called and said, something is wrong with my husband. So I went to his house and I said, I looked at him, everything was fine. And I said, I wish you had called me at 12 o'clock, not 11. Because what are you talking about? Well, because I wanted to hear the sermon. I said, this is Saturday. What I go to church on the Sabbath, which is Saturday. And for the next two hours, I was able to witness to them. And um, they said, you know, we are very impressed by your testimony. Would you please come and share what you shared tonight, I mean this afternoon, with our Thursday night Bible study group? I said, sure. So Thursday came, and I thought there would be maybe, you know, 10 people or so, but there were about 50 people, at least. And they're from all different denominations. What these two did was they sent out flyers to all the churches. And they said, Dr. Chung and coming, and he's going to come and share a testimony. And um, when I went there, I recognized most of them because they're all my patients. <laughs> And um, all different denominations. Because God loves everyone in all denominations. And um, at that time, I shared the cross of Christ. I believe our Seventh-day Adventist church is the right church, the last day church, is because we have the clearest understanding of the cross. Have you ever felt guilty? I asked. You know, I told them about some of the guilt that I felt. You know, some of the in instances. You know how you feel when you feel guilty, especially if you get caught. The feeling, the heart pounding, you're sweating. And um, one time I was taking my mother to work. It was one hour away, but we only had 50 minutes. And as I was going, the car in front of me was going 55 miles per hour. And the speed limit was 
55. <laughs> and I said, this guy is going too slow. <laughs> and it was a two-lane highway. And I was driving very, very close to him. And it was at nighttime. And I looked, and there was a long stretch of road. And I didn't know why there was a solid double line. Because I could, I could easily pass this person. I looked at the time, and I go, I have to make this. I have to go faster than 55. So I passed him. And I, as soon as I passed him, I knew the reason why this guy was going 55. Because <laughs> right behind me during the whole time, there was a police car. <laughs> and he stopped me. And he said, I need to give you three tickets. <laughs> you need a ticket for tailgating, speeding, and going on a double solid line. I said, three tickets? Okay, I'll just give you one ticket, reckless driving. But apparently that's a really bad, I didn't know that. I said, this is great, I only got one ticket. <laughs> but you know, that was just one incident. You know, another time when I was about seven or eight years old, I had, I told, my father said, in Korea, we used to buy poster board to um, draw. You know what you have on the um, back of your uh, lesson, Sabbath school lesson, the uh, countries you're supporting? That's what they draw that. Anyway, uh, so he told me to go and buy a poster board. As a young boy, I've, I've seen people haggle. In Korea, you never buy things at face value. So I started saying, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go haggle too. So I started haggling, and I just got just a few pennies saved. And, but I decided, I think, because I did this work, I can go and use this money according to how I feel. Because it was my haggling that produces extra money. And you know what? I went corner of the street, and my father said never to buy this thing. It's a little toy that you can get. It's like an army toy. And, and I, after I bought it, I took, that, took the poster and the rest of the money and the receipt to my father. And he said, why did you buy the thing that I told you never to buy? <laughs> I was so shocked. And he's... And he said, where's the rest of the money? So he could count it because there was a receipt. And I had a hole in my pocket, and this thing was sticking straight out. <laughs> and I remember it was so, I was so terrified. There was only two, two sins. Actually, no, that's the only two sins that I've ever committed in my life. <laughs> but, you know, if you think about it, if you have to experience all the sins of your life at one point in time, how would you feel? What would have, well, how would you feel if you have to feel every single person's sin from Adam down to the last person ever to live one point in time? 
That's what Christ felt. Isaiah 53, 6, it says that the Lord laid upon him the iniquity of us all. Of us who? Of us all. In Hebrews 2, 9, it says John, Jesus tasted death for every man. Isaiah 59, 2. Your sins have separated your Separated you and your God. You know, I have a beautiful daughter. She's very beautiful inside and outside. But I didn't feel that way when she was born. I really don't think any child born looks cute. <laughs> when she was born, she had this strange-looking shape on her head. Her head was misshapen and I and dirty and you know I they told me to cut the cord so I did and <laughs> and um, I never really got attached to her. But my wife, being very faithful, was with her 24/7, and she was always crying, always. And. Um, when she was about six months old, my, my wife said, I need to go practice music at church, so would you mind watching Shauna? I said, no problem, just go ahead. As soon as she left, she started crying. She cried and cried and cried, and I, I just couldn't handle this. I put her in the car, and I just started driving everywhere. No matter how much I drove, I must have driven at least 3,000 miles. No matter how much I drove, she would not stop. And so I had to take her to her mother and said, I can't handle this girl. <laughs> you know, I realized something at that time. That was the first time she was ever separated from mother in her life. And that was only six months. But because of our sins that was laid upon Christ, it separated the father from his son. They were never, ever separated before in the history of the universe. For eternity before, until that time. That's why he said, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Desire of Ages 7.53, Satan with his fierce temptations wrung the heart of Jesus. The Savior could not see through the portals of the tomb. Hope did not present to him his coming forth from the grave, a conqueror, or tell him of the Father's acceptance of the sacrifice. In this time of agony, with the sin placed upon him, and he could not see the Father's face. And he thought this was it. And somebody said, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Desire of Ages 749, Christ could have come down from the cross, but it is because he would not save himself that the sinner has hope of pardon and 
favor with God. Instead of coming down from the cross, he lowered his head and he died. There was not a dry eye there. And I said, you know, a lot of the things that I told you came from a special book called Desire of Ages. Would you like to have a copy? Every one of their hands, <laughs> every one of them, their hand went up. So I called ABC Bookstore and I said, I need, to borrow, I need to buy 100 copies of Hardbound Desire of Ages. And they said, we don't have 100. Well, we only have few. Well, go, would you mind ordering for me? They said, okay. So it took them almost a month. But I know it was a providential because they asked me to come back the following week. So I went back, and the first thing they asked me was, where's the book that you promised? And I said, you know, that book is so popular. <laughs> Completely sold out. I have to go, we have to get it from the publishers. So, okay. Well, then we want you to come back next week. And then the next week, it wasn't there. They told me to come back the following week. They kept telling me to come back until they get the book. <laughs> Month later, I got the, I got the books. And uh, I took it to them, and they started, they were so happy. You mean this is the best book on the life of Christ? I said, yes, it is. And they said, would you please sign this book? <laughs> I will sign it, but I did not write this book. <laughs> and you know, they started reading. They just started, they loved this book. One lady said, I take this book everywhere with me. I take to the bank. I, take, I even read it when there's a red light. I take it to the store, you know. It just, she said, I, I have a husband and two sons. Would you please give it for me? So I gave, it to, I gave several copies. Would you please give for my, for my pastor? Guess what? The pastor came to visit our church. Which, which church has this book? You know, for the last 17 years, we've been having Bible studies at our house. And um, we probably had studies with close to about 500 people. And many people have been baptized as a result. And last year, we had three baptisms at our pool. That was one of the best times of my life. You know, but it's not always easy and fun, right? One time I was giving Bible study and I had prepared about the Sabbath. And I had, I thought, you know, they have to believe what I'm, what I'm, going about, what I'm about to share. <clears throat> so, after I shared, There was a person who always came and he said, said left of me. And um, he suddenly started getting angry. He started using four letter words. And I said, how in the world? 
And he said, you, pointing at me, he says, you are a deceiver. You are a deceiver. Because what are you talking about? I'm just teaching you from the word of God. No, you're a deceiver. I know what you're trying to do. So he riled up everybody there saying, you know what he's trying to do, right? He's trying to make all of you guys Adventists. That's his purpose. And that is, I mean, he was just going on and on and on, and I just, I didn't know what to say. I never had that type of experience before. What he said was actually true. <laughs> I, was, I was stunned. So we had to stop the worship or the Bible study early, and they went home. And I was really, really depressed. Probably the, I had never been that depressed for the whole week. And the following week, I didn't think people would come. But they all came, including this man. End of the study, he said, Dr. Chung, I need to apologize to you. Cool. I tried to say, well, you know, you were trying to be honest. And he goes, no, 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 I need to apologize in front of all these people. What happened was I was so stunned by what you taught us that I went to the Internet and I started downloading. And he brought about this thick material. And he says, according to the study that I had for the whole week, everything you said was right. And look at the front, it says, amazing facts. <laughs> you know, um, I went home with holy laughter. You know, someone asked, uh, asked me once, how long I was going to give, how long I was going to continue the Bible studies? I said, until I am done, finished with my life, until I am finished. While competing in the 1968 Olympic marathon, John Stephen Aquari from Tanzania felt badly fell badly, wounding his knee and dislocating that joint. Plus, his shoulder hit hard against the pavement. He, however, continued running, finishing last among the 57 competitors who completed the race. As he finally limped across the finish line, a a cheer came from a small remaining crowd. When interviewed later and asked why he continued running, he said, my country did not send me 5,000 miles to start the race. They sent me 5,000 miles to finish the race. God has commissioned us to finish the gospel work. Revelation 2.10 says, Be faithful unto death, 
and I will give you a crown of life. Since youth, my father was a minister. I always emphasized two things. Reminded us. Number one, no matter what, spend time daily in prayer and Bible study. Every day, spend time daily. Every day. Number two, purpose in life is win souls for Christ. When I went to Loma Linda uh, Medical School, I spent one hour each day in prayer and Bible study. And I volunteered to be the youth pastor for Olympic Korean Seventh-day Adventist Church in L.A., which was about one hour drive from the medical school. So I was a youth pastor for four years. Throughout my medical school, I experienced God's constant faithfulness. When it was time for, my, for me to choose a residency, I always thought, that I would be in a surgical field. You see, at PUC, I majored in biochemistry, math, and art. That was a strange combination. <laughs> in fact, I spent most of my time in art. I love doing things with my hands. But which surgical specialty? It was very confusing for me. My future, very foggy. Then I recalled a fog story. George Mueller, born 1805, was an evangelist and cared for more than 10,000 orphans in his lifetime. He was a man of prayer and faith. And he had one day an important speaking engagement. Mueller said, Captain, I've come to tell you that I must be in Quebec by Saturday. The captain said, it is impossible. Do you know how thick the fog is? Mueller replied, no. My eye is not on the density of the fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstance of my life. After a simple prayer, the fog was gone. Needless to say, Mueller was in Quebec on time. I also wanted to have the fog lifted. It was Sunday morning. I told my wife that we need to pray earnestly for our future. She was, in the living, she was in the bedroom praying, and I was in the living room seeking God's direction. Suddenly, a very strong and overwhelming impression came to me. It says, you need to do family practice. What? Until that time, family practice never even entered my mind. I never even did a rotation in family practice. I said, this is not a surgical field. 
I start to argue against conviction. Do you ever do that? I did not feel like doing it. Then immediately, I was reminded of a quote from the pen of inspiration. In letter 7, 1892, Ellen White wrote, Faith and feeling are as distinct as the east from the west. Faith is not dependent on feeling. We must earnestly cry to God in faith, feeling or no feeling, and then live our prayers. Our assurance and evidence is God's word. And after we have asked, we must believe without doubting. So I went to my wife and told her that I'll be applying to family practice program. And she gladly agreed. You know, we have an amazing God. You'll see that later on that if I did not do family practice, I would not be doing dermatology today. I, didn't, I did uh, my residency in, at Florida Hospital in Orlando. In that same year that I started family practice, there was a new faculty member that joined the residency, Dr. Mike Ford, who was a board certified both in family practice and dermatology. So he taught us dermatology. I started really liking it. It was really the first time I was truly exposed to dermatology. You see, Loma Linda, when I was at school, they didn't have dermatology residency. Only exposure to dermatology was one very fast-paced lecture in my second year. Dr. Ford and I became very close friends. And my wife and his wife, Elaine, became very close as well. On the year that I finished my family practice residency, Dr. Ford took a job and became a full-time faculty at University of Florida Dermatology Program. One day, out of the blue, Dr. Ford called me. He says, John, why don't you apply to dermatology? I think you make a fine dermatologist. I said, uh, okay, not knowing how competitive, competitive it was. That program, later I found out they had 600 applicants. They interviewed nine people, and they took two residents. One resident, her name Dinah Warner, some of you from Florida Hospital may know her, she graduated top of her class at University of Florida, and she had research background. Another from Harvard with research experience, 
and he had published paper on psoriasis. Another, a top student from Yale with research background. There's another, an internal medicine resident who finished top of his class the previous year, and so on. Among the nine people interviewed, I was by far the least qualified. I was not from an Ivy League school, and I had no research background. I told my wife, who came, came with me, they would take an act of God for me to get in. Later that day, I got the, I got the word that Dinah Warner, and I got accepted. And I later, I later find out, found out that Dr. Ford really, really pushed and pleaded for me. You know, I learned something about salvation that day. It is not what you know, but whom you know. None of us are qualified to be saved. But we have such a high priest who is set on the right hand of the throne of the majesty of the heavens. After finishing three years of dermatology residency, I decided to apply for fellowship in Mohs micrographic skin cancer surgery. So I consulted with my program director, Dr. Flowers. And he said, I should apply to Scripps Clinic and Research Foundation in La Jolla, California, just a few miles up the road from here. He said he thought that was the best program in the world. It was run by Dr. Hugh Greenway. I said, why not? Only thing they can do is say no. They can't kill me. They apparently had applicants from all over the world, including Australia, England, Israel, Canada, and of course, all over the United States. And they interviewed 50 people and they picked one. After I applied, I did not hear anything from them for months. So I decided to call them. I said, hello, this is John Chung. Who? John Chung. Uh, okay, why are you calling? Well, I, I sent my application there and I want to know if, you, if I can have an interview there. I said, well, um, we will look into that, and, but please don't call us back. <laughs> I said, okay. So I didn't call back. I said, that was it. That's the last time I will, I will hear from them. Two days later, they called me. They said, come for an interview. <laughs> I was one of the last ones to be interviewed. It was a working interview. As soon as I walked in, Dr. Greenway, he didn't even know my name. He said, come on, let's start working. He goes, I, don't want, you, I want you to sew this guy's back. Sew this up. He cut it out and he told me to sew it. 
Okay. And, um, you know, he looked at my grades and, I mean, he looked at my grades from medical school and all kinds of stuff. And, and he said, at the end of the day, he goes, I have to do one more interview. But I'm going to tell you right now, I'll give you that position. I go, what? I, I, I didn't know what to say. And, um, but I had a little problem. See, they have a lot of conferences on weekends. That goes Friday, Sabbath, and Sunday. And I was tempted to not say anything. But I said, you know, that, that is not right. So I said, Dr. Greenway, you need to know something about me. I am a Seventh-day Adventist Christian. My Sabbath starts on Friday night and ends on Saturday night. I cannot attend any conferences or do any work on Sabbath. And I thought he's going to say, see you later. <laughs> he thought about it. He goes, that's okay. I was so relieved. <laughs> and you know, <clears throat> after the acceptance, I had another obstacle. I had to get California uh, medical license. Because I've been gone from California for more than five years. I had to get a, I had to reapply. And they said I need to take an oral examination. And they said, it could be from any field. Okay. So, can you give me a hint as to which field? <laughs> no, you just have to come and find out. Well, where was the time to study and prepare for this oral examination? I was a youth leader at our local church. I gave Bible studies every Friday night and Sabbath, and every Thursday night I prepared for the Bible studies. And I was at the same time studying for my national dermatology boards. You know, Satan constantly tempted me during that time. Stop the Bible studies. You can always do soul winning after the boards But, you know, in, but the Holy Spirit also spoke to my heart. And my Father's voice, most important to do in this life, the purpose of this life, is to win souls for Christ. In the Review and Herald, March 13, 1888, one soul is of infinite value. How much? Infinite value. For Calvary speaks of its worth. Signs of Times, June 6, 1892. There will be no one saved in heaven with a starless crown. If you enter there, there will be some soul 
and the course of glory that has found an entrance there through your instrumentality. Seven Testimonies, page 10. The same, what did I say? The same intensity of desire to save sinners that marked the life of Jesus marks the life of his true followers. With God's encouragement and strength, the Bible study continued. As a result, Dinah Warner, the one who got accepted in the same year as I did, and her entire family got baptized and joined our church. Praise the Lord for that. So I went to California to take the oral examination. Just before um, going there, there was an internal medicine resident who came to our Bible studies every week. He says, you know, you're going you're gonna to go to California. Why don't you take this book? It was a 20-page red book. It says, latest the update on cardiology. Okay, now, if the medical, medical school and specialties consisted only of cardiology, that may have helped. But it could have been any field, right? So I said politely, you know, okay, uh, thanks. So I, I took it. And you know what happened was, it was a one-hour drive from San Jose to San Francisco. And my father picked me up and drove me there. And the Holy Spirit was pressing on my heart, read that book, read that book. So I read that book two times, trying to remember everything it says in there. I went in there, and it was a cardiologist. <laughs> he started asking me questions straight out of that book. I think he read the same book. <laughs> and he said, are you a cardiologist? <laughs> I said, no, I'm a dermatology resident. He goes, that is impossible. <laughs> and, um, you know, I said in my mind, there's only one true cardiologist. That is God in heaven. And later, I scored the second highest in the nation on dermatology boards. Amen. Only God can use an average mind like me to perform such an incredible feat. I had a great training at Script Clinic, and they trained me in everything, not just skin cancer removal, but also reconstructive surgery and even facelifts and liposuctions and hair transplant, laser surgery and vein surgeries. Some of the things that I didn't want, I didn't want to learn, I had, I had to learn all that. You know, I was extremely happy with all the training that I received. Family practice made me a more complete physician. And dermatology and fellowship training 
in skin cancer and cosmetic surgeries. I felt like that was something that I was called to do. You know, Psalms 37.4 became much more meaningful to me. It says, Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. After I was done with my fellowship, where do I go to practice? I had multiple offers. But the biggest offer was from Dr. Greenway himself. He had become the CEO of all the script clinics. And he said, John, I'm going to just ask you. I want you to take over my position to train the fellows and and, and he offered me several million dollars. <laughs> and here I was. You know, at that time, I was fortunate because I didn't have any debts or loans or anything from school. And so I didn't have that pressure to, you know, get, them, get money. But I just wanted to do God's will. And um, he said, you, you can, you're going to become the head of dermatology and also all the surgery departments. And he was giving me all these things and enticing me with money and opportunity. And he said, you, and, you know, La Jolla is not a really a bad place to live. <laughs> the clinic overlooks Torrey Pines Golf Course, which overlooks the Pacific Ocean. Every time you go there, you go, you feel like you're on vacation. It's a beautiful place. But I had an issue with the Sabbath. You know, you can't just stop all the conferences, right? So I said, Dr. Greenway, it's such an honor that you asked me, but I must decline. He said, I don't want you to think about it. I want you to, I'm going to give you two more days to think about it. Talk to your wife. I told him next day, Dr. Greenway, I can talk to every single person in the world, but I can't. And you know, a lot of times we make decisions based on how we feel, based on what we can gain. What is the best thing for me and my family? Not asking, what is God's will for me, right? You know, in 2 Kings chapter 6, when Elijah was surrounded by his enemies, You know, he says, Elijah, in uh, 2 Kings chapter 6, verse 14, it says, therefore he sent horses, that is, um, the king of Syria, 
sent horses, chariots, and great army there. They came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And verse 17, And Elijah prayed. If you have your smartphones, I want you to turn to 2 Kings 6, verse 17. And Elijah prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open our eyes that we may see. Does it say that? It says, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elijah. Why didn't Elijah say, open my eyes too? Because he was living with his spiritual eyes of faith. And in Genesis 13, verse 10, Lot had a choice. Abraham gave him the first choice to pick a place to live. It says, Job lifted up his eyes and beheld all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered everywhere before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, even as the garden of the Lord. Probably at that time, Sodom and Gomorrah was probably most beautiful place on this earth, like Garden of Eden. And he made this decision based on what this world offers for his temporal life on this earth. But Abraham, in Hebrews 10, 11, 10, it says, Abraham looked for a city which has foundations, whose builder and maker is God. In verse 16, but now they desire a better country that is in heavenly, wherefore God is not ashamed to be God, their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Do you want God to prepare you a city? You know, <clears throat> we moved to Dalton, Georgia. My colleague said, why in the world are you going to Dalton, Georgia? There's only 40,000 people there. You need referrals from other dermatologists. There was one dermatologist in Dalton, but he was about to retire. 
But I said, you know, this is where God has led me, and this is where I'm going to stay. Several years later, a drug rep came to my office. And he says, according to the number of prescriptions that you write, you have the busiest private practice in the United States. I said, what? I thought he was just kidding. He says, no, it's, it's true. He was showing me all the numbers. Right now, we get, we get patients from seven different states. I don't advertise in Arizona. <laughs> I don't advertise in Canada. I don't know where they're here, but it's only by grace of God that people come. And our, we are only busy as we're faithful. You know, um, <clears throat> God has blessed us. And um, over the last 17 years, we have helped build four churches. The last church, it was paid off uh, about two weeks ago. And the uh, next check I wrote, it bounced. <laughs> I've never had my check bounce before. And it bounced. But I hope it bounced all the way to heaven. <laughs> you know, in Matthew 6, 21, it says, for, your, for where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. You know, we cannot take anything with us. Right? Everything that we have is God's anyway. And the greatest investment we can make is for souls, isn't it? You know, you heard of the story of Titanic. Titanic was built in Belfast, Ireland. And um, 16 of their most skilled mechanics were on, that bo on the board of that first or their maiden voyage. In the midst of a fog, it hit an iceberg and it sank. And the whole city, in fact, the whole country of Ireland was, in, was mourning. That Sunday, there was a famous American preacher in Belfast. Many people came to hear him, many dignitaries. And this pastor's sermon, the title was The Unsinkable Ship. It was not about the Titanic, but it was about a small boat on the Sea of Galilee. No matter the storm, it would not sink. It was unsinkable because Jesus was there. You know, Fanny Crosby, 
wrote almost 9,000 hymns. And 100 million copies of her songs were printed. And one day, she was struggling financially. She desperately needed some money. As her usual custom, Fanny began to pray. A few minutes later, a gentleman offered her $5, the exact amount she needed. Later, recalling the incident, she said, I have no way of accounting for this, ex for, for this except to believe that God put, in, put it into the heart of this good man to bring the money. The poem she wrote afterward became all the way my Savior leads me. All the way my Savior leads me, what have I to ask beside? Can I doubt his tender mercy? Who through life has been my guide? Heavenly peace, divinest comfort, hereby faith in him to dwell. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. For I know whatever befall me, Jesus doeth all things well. All the way my Savior leads me, cheers each winding path I tread, gives me grace for every trial, feeds me with the living bread. Though my weary steps may falter and my soul a thirst may be, gushing from the rock before me, lo, a spring of joy I see. Gushing from the rock before me, O lo, a spring of joy I see. All the way my Savior leads me, all the fullness of his love. Perfect rest to me is promised in my Father's house above. When my spirit, clothed in mortal, wings his flight to realms of day, this my song through endless ages, Jesus led me all the way. This my song through endless ages. Jesus led me all the way. She wrote many, many songs, including All the Way, My Savior Leads Me, that I just read. Pass me not, O gentle Savior. Jesus is tenderly calling you home. Praise him, praise him. Rescue the perishing. To God be the glory. And blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. This was especially meaningful for her, meaningful for her, because she was blind since infancy. In this song, Blessed Assurance. There's a verse that says, perfect submission, perfect delight. Visions of rapture now burst on my sight. 
even though she couldn't see. With her physical eyes, she saw the visions of rapture. Shortly before she died, a Danish preacher asked her a question. Miss Crosby, do you wish that God had given you the gift of sight? And she said, no. Because when I awake, the first one that I will see is the one that died for me. Would you like to live like that? You know, I'm so thankful for my life. I am not perfect by any means. But God continues to work in my life. And as we continue to trust Him, as we live by faith and obey, there will be obstacles. We trust, but we continue to obey. And then we trust and continue to obey. I hope this will be your experience until Jesus comes. This media was produced by Audioverse for Amen, Adventist Medical Evangelism Network. If you would like to learn more about Amen, please visit www. AmenSDA.org. Or if you would like to listen to more free online sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.